in whoa <laughs> in the few that, that may be a little bit loud wow just a little bit down otherwise it'll feel like I'm inside your mind <laughs> a little bit more down a little bit a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more that's okay we'll just go with it now I'm awake in the few minutes that I did happen to stay awake during the sitting this evening (laughs) I was and I imagine that you may have been uh, happily relieved I was relieved and I imagine that you might be happily relieved just to have the immediate felt experience of not being defined by your thoughts. Any of you have that sense when you sat this evening? And what a tremendous relief it is to to realize that uh, that our thoughts, although a, a very uh, advanced function of our, our brains, you could say, some aspect of the fact that we can think is a, a miracle. It's, no one can ever explain it either. The amazing thing, how many thoughts we have and how no one's ever actually seen one. That, that's awesome to me. And how these invisible phantoms have such a way of defining, uh, attempting to define our lives. Uh, and they leave in their wake a residue of feeling, of, of physical response. There's always this physical corollary that it makes it, somehow it's built into the wiring that makes us think that whatever we're thinking really is us. And then to be faced for a few moments in the span of our day, which I think is the great good fortune of coming and sitting down, whether you sit alone or sit with a group, the great good fortune of letting your mind for attention, letting that attention that's usually kind of absorbed, not really, um, not really in touch with a sense of uh, clear comprehension and immediacy, all of a sudden that attention that's usually absorbed gets brought back into the the more gross physical felt experience of sitting and all of a sudden and I can I, I can tell right now even as you're listening that for these few moments maybe just after the last moment and before the next one if you're just feeling yourself sitting here you may not feel as definable you may not feel as um, that you can say much about yourself uh, except that you're here or you are or you're alive or you're present or you're, you're breathing or you're hearing or... and for most of us that is a great relief do you f- sense it? a relief? but because our 
functioning as such that our mind, we are thinking machines, that our mind involuntarily spews or spawns said 65,000 thoughts every day. And most of you have heard these statistics before, that, and it said that 90% of those are repeats from the day before. Because our mind is, we have these thinking machines, uh, and because our, our thoughts are so um, seductive, with the combination of a very strong habit, a strong habit of, of inattention, of not clearly comprehending what's happening in real time, the combination of inattention and the 65,000 thoughts is we, vir- we spend virtually much of our time in uh, virtual reality. As the, that study that I've been sharing over the last several months from Harvard suggests we spend 46.9% of our time daydreaming. And, it, and the daydreaming, and rather than actually making whatever activity that we're doing that may not seem so pleasant, rather than making it easier to bear, it actually makes it harder to bear, uh, which is a, was an interesting statistic as well. So I, for one, was happily relieved to, just by virtue of the good company of sitting together, by virtue of the intention, the volition to put my mind in the same location as my body, it didn't take long before I at least had a taste of, of life, of truth, you could say, not defined by memory not defined by the story of myself that plays through my mind. And for many of us, that's the, when we first start to taste that sense of indefinability, it's a little bit too big. It's too vast in a way. It's much easier to think of myself as puny and not enough than it is sometimes to be so big and open and, and connected. Is this making any sense? (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs) But part of our practice is to get used to our um, our nature. And I often think of practice, and I realize every Tuesday it's a repeat. Just like the 65,000 thoughts, the Dharma is a repeat from the week before, too. But I like to think of practice as, um, as back to nature. That it is an opportunity to, the way Thich Nhat Hanh described it in one of his poems, to reclaim our heritage. To reclaim our place in the family of things, as Mary Oliver put it to love the soft animal of our body, to come into that, that, in, intimate, uh, that intimate experience of our uh, aliveness, our animal body, to come out of the tangle, as Rumi said, come out of the tangle of fear thinking, to live in silence, and to flow down and down and down and 
as he says, in ever-widening rings of being. So widening out of those little, that little puny world of our, of our thinking, as miraculous and, and sometimes creative and useful as it is, and um, helpful in our lives uh, to be to tr- to define ourselves by our thoughts is to miss our nature. It may be our conditioned nature to spend a lot of time thinking, but what thinking often does is masks a more intimate nature that that the place that we can taste and touch in any moment when we're simply connected to the the living senses, the the suchness of just hearing, of just seeing, of smelling, of tasting, of just feeling a sensation, and then just knowing a thought is a thought. And to do this, to have that experience of nature as it's manifesting, we have to have what we call sati sampajanya, mindfulness and clear comprehension. That simply means to not be lost, to be clearly comprehending what's actually happening. So the moment that you put your mind in your body right now, what you're experiencing is not the story of your life or your situation. You, You step out of that the moment you feel sensation. When we do that, we're now in touch with the elements of, of life. We're in touch with what the Buddha would characterize it as, as the earth element. You may be aware of the hardness or the heaviness. Any of you feel hardness or heaviness? You may be in touch with a sense of, of coolness or warmth. This is fire fire element. It's very elemental. You may be in touch with the sense of moisture or the sense of cohesion, the sense of it all being kind of held together as a, as a, that sense of having a whole body. That often is the, is described as the fruit of the water element as it holds us together. Without the water element, we break apart into, into, uh, just, I don't know, just earth. We just dust. So it's the water that gives a sense of cohesion. And then you may feel a sense of vibration. You may feel a sense of pressure. Uh, you may feel a sense of, um, of wind. Not so much in this room. But you may feel vibration or movement. This is the air element. A sense of moving. So this is nature. And you may say, well, what's so good about that? Just so simple. What's that about? What is so great about that? I mean, I already said it in the introduction, but, but I'd be interested to hear from someone. What's so great about back to nature? Linda. It's all there is. So, thank you. Anyone else? It's all there is. It's real. It's not 
it's it's not an old it's not old news. It's ever new. It's what's happening right now. It's not very freeing. Thank you. What else? What's so great about nature? Connecting with nature. Please. Gives you a sense of peace. Isn't it our deepest longing for connection? And isn't it, why do we go walk in the woods? So we start to feel that resonance. Sometimes it takes the visual field, it takes the auditory field of the forest and the, the colors to awaken our senses, to be able to be to start to mingle with what we call nature. But even when we take a walk in nature, we're thinking of nature as outside and then us as inside, not realizing that this nature is not apart from that nature. It's there's nothing that exists independently apart from anything else. So we we find our we find our home again in nature. Because one way of thinking of it is all of us, because of our conditioning, innocent uh, as it is, all of us have been not unlike the food in our grocery stores especially the food that sells the most. We have been, like the food, denatured. We've gotten denatured. And the denatured, that what it is to be denatured, is to have lost touch with that ground of, of, our, um, of our interdependence, our interbeing with the sky and the sun and the earth and everything. I brought along one of Thich Nhat Hanh's examples tonight where he said when we look in, he was probably showing a little flower that was sitting at his side, but he says when we look into this beautiful chrysanthemum, we get the impression that this flower is full of the cosmos. Everything in the cosmos is there in the flower including the cloud, the sunshine, the soil, minerals, time and space and everything. It looks like the whole cosmos has come together to manifest the flower. The one contains the all. There is only one thing that is not there. That is a separate entity, a separate existence. The flower is full of the cosmos of everything else, but the flower is empty of a separate self. No separate self, that is the first meaning of emptiness. You cannot be by yourself. You have to interbe with the cosmos. If we are all and we are all in you. And you look deep if you look deeply into yourself, you see all of us in you. That is the beginning of the contemplation of interbeing, focusing on the teaching of emptiness. So the experience of being denatured is entering into that world where we imagine ourselves to be an independent self-existence that's somehow gotten separated from nature. The metaphor that I often use, I probably even did just in the last few weeks here, of that it's used in the Hindu tradition where we, because of our um, inattention, we enter into the imagined version of ourselves where we feel 
and imagine ourselves to be the one wave, like a wave on the ocean, the one wave that somehow gotten separated from the ocean. And then that wave that's gotten separated from the ocean, you've all done this, and we've all done it. We madly, we, we vigorously, out of love for ourselves, try to find our way back to the ocean. But has the wave ever been separate from the ocean? This is part of our delusion. This is how we become denatured. We start to think that we're separate. Why it's so palpably relieving to step out of that tangle of separate thinking just for a moment and live in silence. And then just feel, let the soft animal of your body, that's what uh, uh, Mary Oliver put it, let the soft animal of your body pull you pull you back into that sense of immediacy, that sense of being home again. Not anyone in particular, except just yourself here. But not the idea of yourself, but just the direct experience. To me, this is one of the great opportunities, especially supported by, or helped by, uh, many people sitting together. Somehow we can more easily fall into that silence and that connection the tendency is for not to be able to sustain that, that sense of, of letting down, letting go, letting be on our own until we, of course, develop a, our own daily practice. But the tendency is to feel that ability uh, more when we sit together. So I got a little taste of that this evening. And hopefully uh, you are, you did as well, back to nature. So we could describe the whole denaturing process. You can see how it's happened with the food. How the, f- the food, in the, in the intention to, to try to, uh, to make money and grow as much food for as many people as possible, some are very noble intention. The soil gets overused and then there's all kinds of uh, mechanized attempts to to uh, protect the food, all kinds of hormones, every, lots of different things added to the food and until the, the tomatoes look pink and they, and they, what else, what other food looks really bizarre when it's gotten far from, well just look at the, how many things are put in, dried and put in boxes and, and it's just a, you can see that process. It's the whole sequence of causes and conditions and the whole systemic situation of, of expanding population. So some of it is very much an attempt to try to feed people. But in the process, just um, in our, even with wholesome intentions, we end up losing touch with the simplicity losing touch with what actually keeps things uh, being nourishing and, and, um, and beautiful even. I just came back from doing some teaching and, and spending a little time resting on this uh, little island in British Columbia where I've taught a lot of retreats over the years and I've come, become really fond of this place. 
I won't name it because I don't want it to be inundated. <laughs> no, I'm actually, on, it's called Salt Spring Island. And it's in British Columbia. <laughs> but Salt Spring Island is, is full of organic farms. It is, it is Disneyland of, of organic food and fresh food. And in fact, most of the organic farms, and it tells you what it can be like, what kind of lifestyle people can live in this world. And it's not to say anything bad about the lifestyle in San Francisco. It has its own beauty and uniqueness in this world. But the culture of this island and many more rural places is that each farm grows the food, much of the food that they eat, and instead of the food ending up in the supermarket, which some of it does, some of it is wholesaled out, but a lot of the food ends up on farm stands in front of each farm. And the farm stand has no one minding the store. It's put there under little canopies, a box of food or whatever is being offered, and then there's a box where you put your money. It's all done on the honor system. And... The food's gorgeous, beautiful, and the and the people are there, that's their labor of love. That's their way of keeping connection. Now we live in the city or in a little bit more of an urban culture. We have to find some way to keep connected because it's very easy to lose it. And I don't know about you, but I my office is on my city office. I have an office in in uh, in. Sausalito as well, but my city office is on Union Street. And I often, before my, because I'm often in slightly in a hurry, part of being denatured, I walk into the Starbucks at the corner of Union and Laguna, and I look over at the chairs and the tables, and every single person, without exception, has a screen in their face. Every single person has this bizarre light radiating back at them. And it's even palp- it's even visible during the daytime. And it's as though I've walked into a world of zombies. And I'm one of them. I, f- I've f- I find myself getting absorbed in that world from time to time. And when you when you see that the largest company in the in the U.S. now is a is a a screen maker basically in the world. Okay, thank you. It's amazing, and it's a brilliant company at doing what it does. But it doesn't actually lend itself. It maybe lends itself to a certain kind of virtual connection, the whole social networking, etc. But in terms of our connection with our bodies and each other and a real, live, three-dimensional, multi-dimensional intimacy. Where is that? How do we... And there's something lost in that. So as urban dwellers, as screen obsessed screen um, viewers, we have to find another way of staying connected to nature. And I know most of us are not going to smart, start little organic farms. So we have to find other ways. And that, uh, to me, I see one of the ways that we do that is we stop. We stop many times a day and we put our mind back in our body. 
we go back to nature. One time, when you feel that compulsion to turn on that screen or check your email, instead, maybe half the times that you would normally do that during a day. How many of you do that compulsively? Thank you for your honesty. Try it. All of the, the, the slightly compulsive to the way compulsive. Try taking half the amount of times that you feel the impulse to check your screen. <laughs> it's really... Instead, check your body. And then maybe do the, do the, we'll say instead of the three-minute quickie, we'll say the two-minute quickie even. Feel your body. Connect with the fact that you're, that there's a breathing, uh, there's a life here. There's living. There's breathing. And then check, scan your body to see if there's any areas of tension, anxiety, you know, any kind of vibrating, any pulsing, any burning, any stabbing, any itching, any tingling, whatever it is, register it. Notice what it does to your mind when you do that instead of turn on your screen. Then check your mood. Check the attitude in your mind. It's just the same thing that they did in that, in that study from Harvard when they got 250,000 responses from people just checking to see what was in their mind at that time. This is your opportunity to see what's in your mind, see what's in your mood, see what's in your thoughts. Two minutes and then check your screen. Just kidding. <laughs> Don't check your screen. Check your neighbor. <laughs> Check your neighbors. Find someone to look into their eyes and do the old Ramdas conversation. I'm in here. Are you in there? And say hi to each other. To that 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 realization that what lives inside of you lives inside of me. Now, it can't be really found in a screen. But it's so beautiful. Now I'm looking at all of you and I'm saying, how could I overlook this? It's, it's stunning. Us together. Just the miracle of, of living and breathing and being awake. And how different that is from imagination of the past and the future. Just the, the mental world, which is unique in itself, but can never capture the vividness of, of us sitting together. So back to nature, not to be denatured. Carlos, please. We are, we are a meadow of flowers. But we're also... We're, if we're in touch with our nature, we're, we are a meadow of flowers, but we're also, we're also really earthy and grunty and, and animal-like and even that, just whatever it is that reminds us of our place in the, in the family of things. I just happen to have my favorite Carl Sandburg poem with me tonight, which is, which is called... Wilderness. I think I'll share it and then maybe listen, hear from you a little bit. There is a wolf in me, fangs pointed for tearing gashes, a red tongue for raw meat, and the hot lapping of blood. I keep this wolf because the wilderness gave it to me, and the wilderness will not let it go. So back to nature is also feeling those qualities in us. 
There's a fox in me, a silver-gray fox. I sniff and guess. I pick things out of the wind and air. I nose in the dark night and take sleepers and eat them and hide the feathers. I circle and loop and double-cross. There's a hog in me, a snout and a belly, a machinery for eating and grunting, a machinery for sleeping satisfied in the sun. I got this too from the wilderness, and the wilderness will not let it go. There's a fish in me. I know I came from the salt water, salt blue water gates. I scurried with shoals of herring. I blew water spouts and porpoises. Before land was, before the water went down, before Noah, before the first chapter of Genesis. There's a baboon in me. Clamoring, clawed, dog-faced, yawping a galoot's hunger, hairy under the armpits. Here are the hawk-eyed, hankering men. Here are the blonde and blue-eyed women. Here they hide, curled asleep, waiting, ready to snarl and kill, ready to sing and give milk, waiting. I keep the baboon because the wilderness says so. There's an eagle in me and a mockingbird, and the eagle flies among the rocky mountains of my dreams and fights among the Sierra crags of what I want. And the mockingbird warbles in the early forenoon before the dew is gone, warbles in the underbrush of my Chattanooga of hope, gushes over the blue Ozark foothills of my wishes, and I got the eagle and the mockingbird from the wilderness. Oh, I got a zoo. I got a menagerie. Inside my ribs, under my bony head, under my red valve heart, and I got something else. It is a man-child heart, a woman-child heart. It is a father, a mother, a lover. It came from God knows where. It's going to God knows where, for I am the keeper of the zoo. I say yes and no. I sing and kill and work. I'm a pal of the world. I came from the wilderness. It's called Wilderness by Carl Sandburg. You know, as I, as I share this poem, the, this language of animals and, and killing and flying, it almost sounds like a foreign language, and it, it doesn't have to be. And I think that we reclaim that language as our own when we keep putting our mind in our body, come back to our nature as it expresses itself with this elemental experience and all of our... Uh, passions and emotions if they're clearly comprehended and felt and that we don't look elsewhere for our relief don't overlook this uh, vital point you know this open secret and yet when we do this it doesn't solve all of our problems it doesn't necessarily improve our situation it improves our attitude Gives us, gives us a balance, a, a sense of our place. Gives us a kind of uh, serenity. Somebody said peace before. This a sense of home is not so far away. That's why Thich Nhat Hanh says that you who are the richest person on earth, who've been going around begging for a living, Stop being that destitute child. Come home. Reclaim your heritage. And as Hafiz says, 
keep squeezing drops of the sun from the sacred hands of and glance of your beloved and my dear from the most insignificant movements of your own holy body. So how difficult and how much time does it take to spend a few moments several times a day putting your mind in your body? How much effort is that? Anyway, I felt like I had to say it tonight and been touched by the nature where I was and I think I slowed down a little bit and uh, felt like an animal again instead of just a screen-obsessed, <laughs> busy beaver. <laughs> no, I'm a busy beaver. That's okay. Any, any comments or questions? We have a couple minutes before we... Please. loneliness as a perceptual mistake because I use the metaphor of the wave never really being separate from the ocean would it be useful to regard loneliness as a conceptual mistake a perceptual mistake loneliness is born of delusion but at the same time we can't just can't just dismiss it as a perceptual mistake. We have to both bow to it and honor it as uh, one of the uh, common uh, perceptions that, that human beings have when they feel separate. Part of our conditioning is to feel isolated and separate. And so we have to, we have to use that as a, hopefully a cause of, of kindness and mercy for the pain of that, but at the same time not stop at giving it uh, an ultimate reality, but recognize that it that it that it arises according to, um, in many cases, according to misperception and the belief in separate individuality, which um, is the fundamental delusion. It is. Yeah, it is a perceptual delusion, and we get we get lonely. So. Are you going to dismiss your loneliness the next time you feel it? Or are you going to are you going to love yourself up? We have to have that balance of of um, understanding the emptiness or the non-separateness of things, and have the compassion to understand the pain of being uh, of being disconnected from that in our minds. That's what the the Tibetans call the two wings of of the Garuda, the wings of wisdom and the wings of compassion. If you have wisdom without the compassion, they, they call it one-legged emptiness. Uh, and it's, we, it doesn't fly so well. Oh, yeah. Any other comments, questions, please? Patricia. How do you deal with people who 
who, who are not living consciously, wisely, kindly, and are into, volitionally trying to make connection more actively, even trying to avoid it. I think that my, in my better moments, my first, my first um, response is to notice how I react to it. And to not um, to get to get back in my own business, which is to see if I can maintain some equilibrium in the face of that, and in some way in doing that, letting that be the cause of of me being more connected, more intimate, uh, and then uh, I think if I find my own com- my composure with it, then I'll be less likely to be blaming, demanding, judging and then start irritating myself because my, I've made my well-being dependent on how that person is, and then also irritating that person. Uh, so I, w- I, want to, I want to have a, uh, if, I, if I can, I want to have a healthy respect for, for that person's autonomy. And I don't want to feel pity because I, I don't know exactly what's in that person's mind and so I don't want to assume too much but I want to recognize that I'm speculating that that person is is not so conscious in there and there and if if it's true what I'm thinking or what my perception is and it could be always have to consider that my perception might be distorted but if it's true then I want to again at the same way that I want to regard my own delusion I want to love them up again it's easy to talk about these things I think that if we can have our default reaction to to take care of our own reactivity in that case I think we'll be able to deal with it better humor yeah shake it up a little crack a joke Sometimes people are amenable to that. Please. Everyone has their own story, their own life. Yes. You can you get to see your own reaction. These people have their own life. Yes, that's right. That's right. Everyone has their own circumstances, and I'll just add one more thing. I like to think that everyone has their their own Buddha nature, their own inner organizing nature, and everyone finds their way according to their conditions. And it's not my business to um, to enlighten anyone. <laughs> Everyone's a Buddha. I think we have to call it a day, but I appreciate all of your comments and just even listening and letting me remind myself of the importance of nature and so that we don't become even more denatured in this, in this time of screens. It's my new name for it, the, the days of screens. <laughs> and I... 
but I would like us to just stop for a moment and consider as we do each week more consciously that we do share the, the world and we share this universe are touched and touching all things and all beings at all times and and what we do here tonight touches all beings and we can accentuate that by considering the the blessings of our time here the goodness the benefits and intentionally sharing them and radiating them in all directions toward all the beings who we are touching and being touched by and sharing the blessings with a deep wish that all beings in their own time, in their own way uh, that all beings can have happiness and peace in their lives and the causes of happiness and peace and that all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering and that all beings can recognize that sacred happiness that is without sorrow to be found always here and now. And a deep wish that all beings can grow in that sky-like, mountain-like impartiality and serenity, able to meet the joys and sorrows, the loneliness and the togetherness with less grasping and less aversion. And a deep wish that our life, our practice, our work, everything that we do every day uh, be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. And deep wish that all beings be liberated from suffering. Thank you. So nice to be back here. And, uh, for those of you who I hope you all enjoyed Will Kabat-Zinn, he'll be back one of these days soon. Great. Thrilling. So there'll be more of Will and more of others as well, but I'm, I'll mostly be here this fall, <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> And just a f- couple brief announcements. One, I have a day long this weekend, this Saturday, this Saturday, the 20th, at Spirit Rock. Introduction to Insight Meditations for beginners, advanced, anybody will sit and walk. Spirit Rock, beautiful land. Bring your friends who you may want to turn on to practice, but also a day for you to practice. So Spirit Rock, 9.30 to 4.30 on Saturday. Uh, please come, the more the merrier. And just another reminder, as we do each week, that our room costs us $150 a week. So any dana or practice of generosity toward the room rental is appreciated. And any teaching that's offered by me or Will or anyone is offered in the spirit of generosity. It's my practice of giving. And as part of a system of giving and receiving that goes back 2,500 years, your opportunity is to practice your form of giving in the form of support in the basket. So teacher dana, room rental dana. As you wish, thank you in advance, and thanks for your practice. Remember nature this week.
and paste the humor show if I am wrong, and then easier to hear me on. You're getting shut down, so they're okay, they're okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.